This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disaster Girls. It is I, your co-host, Jordan Cruciola. And it's me, Amanda Smith. God, Jordan, that was such a dramatic lead-in. I like it that. Feel, like, we haven't done this in a minute. I know, and we've tried three times to do this particular episode. Yeah. So this is really portentous. Yeah, and, re- and you know, it feels, if there was going to be an episode that was a bit cumbersome mm. to get done, it kind of feels appropriate that it would be the episode for this movie that we're talking about. Yeah, I, I gotta say, like, so we're recording this on the 3rd, so the, on January 3rd, so the movie's been out for a little over a week now. I'm glad that we got through the week of online discourse. I guess it's it was two weeks now, so. It was I'm also, glad. like, bad vibes, the way people were talking about this movie. Yeah. Don't look up. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's good to have some distance from that. <laughs> kind of don't regret that we have a little more space between us and um, the potential for people to be name searching on Twitter. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was so weird to watch this movie arrive because it felt a bit like people involved in making it. Um, seemed to view it as almost like like the the end the the temperament of the the defensiveness was almost like this was some sort of underdog that like if you didn't get on board with it like you were you anti the climate both, yeah you were Jordan. anti both movies and the environment yeah and it was like ah oh, everybody this is very expensive though and it is getting one of the event release strategies on the most popular streaming service in the world so like i don't think you have to worry about what some people on twitter say i mean when when leonardo DiCaprio's face is 20 feet high on the corner of sunset and crescent yeah God, I feel kind of like in that case, you you can close Twitter for the night. Yeah. Like I'm on Twitter constantly tweeting about my boobs because I have nothing else. At the very least, you don't have an Oscar to your name yet. None. You I don't have, you I didn't have yet to acquire any of the Oscars. I do right. not have the screenwriting have, award you got did not come with a $30 million check for you personally. No, it didn't even come with a plaque yet. It, the plaque is still in the mail. Right. Yeah. So like, eh, you know, like it's this and it it is it was all like it was a lot of hullabaloo for mm-hmm. a movie that was like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> This movie's fine. It was fine. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, before we go any further, I'm giving this movie a three. Three Towering Infernos. I'm not even going to wait to get to that part. It is fine, you guys. I'm I'm honest. It's all 2.5 for me. Like, (laughs) and not not a disgruntled one. No, Just like some things worked, some things didn't kind of feeling. I, this movie was very much a, well, that existed. It was the most, I mean- this movie to me was like eating a meal that I've made myself. It provided me with food. It kept me going. I would never brag about it to other people. And sure. I would certainly never inflict it on anyone else, but it didn't kill me. Right. And there it, were it, things about it that I was like, well, this was good. Yeah. And it was, it was almost like, to me, it was just like uncontroversially fine. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> not even like to me, the, the, the most, the, the thing, the only thing maybe in my, from my experience, like worth 
getting worked up is that like with so many resources and so much talent involved, it's like, well, gosh, that, that should have been better. But like how many movies that have everything in the world going for them don't like make it through. It's hard to make a really good movie And there. I think there's an acute kind of difficulty to it when you have so many assets involved. That's a lot to balance. That's a lot to, that's a lot to serve. And so like, yeah, this climate alleged satire is fine. Yes. I mean, so the thing that before we get into like reality indexing of and all of that, there is a degree to which as I watched the movie and as I thought about it afterward, I had Mm -hmm. to separate out um, my feelings about the bigger picture in Mm -hmm. which the screenwriter whose name I won't say for fear of conjuring him. Sure. He seems operates. capable of being conjured. I, like, he might've, my bra, it's like I, my bra randomly un- unclasped itself earlier tonight. And I was like, either like my apartment is haunted or I need <laughs> to get a new bra. Yeah. And now I'm like, what if it was his ghost? Just yeah. <laughs> I know we, you'll be talking about this film later. I certainly can't say it wasn't because I wasn't there. So no way to know. No oh, way to know. It happened behind me. It could have been him, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, like, I did have to, at first I walked away from the movie really sour on it. Like my first 10 minutes after I watched that film, I was not pleased. I think that's a, that's a very, I think it's very legitimate to have a yeah. sort of knee jerk, like, oh, yeah, coming and, up. Like that makes sense to me, even as someone who's like deeply fine. Like I get yeah. what you're saying. I, I was like, it brought me around a little bit with one joke and I was like, well, that was maybe worth the entire film was just <laughs> for this one joke. But like- I do think there is a, and I, there's a conversation that needs to be had yeah, um, about the way that women in this film are portrayed, not because they're like on an individual basis, mm-hmm. you have three women. So you have Kate, who is the PhD candidate who discovers the, um, who discovers the comet. Yes. Uh, played by uh, J-Law. Uh, You've yeah. got Meryl Streep as this sort of like Sarah Palin, sexy president. Yeah. Um, like basically Ronald Reagan, if he was the throat goat. And then you've got, <laughs> instead of his wife. And then you've Apparently got, so. Um, and then you've got this sort of cutthroat, man-eatery journalist type. Yeah. And played by Kate Blanchett. Played by, Kate, played by Kate Blanchett. And individually, when you take each of them individually, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's those are each individually interesting characters or like mm-hmm. there's, but when you take them as a whole with his larger body of work, mm-hmm. um, there's a real fucking conversation to be had about mm. the way that those characters are used and the way that the stories he's interested in telling about women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That is not the conversation to have about this movie. Right, right. But, but it is of a piece of it, a larger, yes, and very I, available conversation. Yes. And yeah. that, given how much I wanted to spend more time because J- Jennifer Lawrence is so fucking engaging on screen. God, oh, that is I, my number mm-hmm. one thing to say about this movie is like in There's the positive. Whole is, chunks of this film. I movie. have missed her so much. I, <laughs> I feel the same way when I see Jennifer Lawrence on my screen as I feel whenever like I hear a Britney Spears song or like, uh-huh. I'm just like, fuck, we just, or whenever I see Alicia Silverstone in something, I'm like, <laughs> we deserve so much more of her. Yeah. Give me yeah. more of that. And um, again, not something I necessarily want to, as somebody who's trying to work in the industry, want to say on, on tape, 
Um, right. Beyond, I think there's a real fucking conversation to have about the stories he thinks are worth telling about mm-hmm. women, even in the service of other stories. Well, and I think I think it gets at like it gets at the limits of and the like supposed permissions of satire mm-hmm. where it's like just because you just because you are aiming to comment on something doesn't mean that the way that you've curated this absolves you of also playing into into other shitty things, things. stereotypes yeah. generalizations like narratives about women and, and i think this movie broadly makes you go like what is what is satire like what is yeah. successful satire and like you look at these these female characters in the president, like the conniving journals, like you said, and the harpy science smart girl. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where did we where at what point did we lose the plot on commenting on these things and just making them shrill or grating or regressive representations of the thing you mm-hmm. you hate as the person who made them? Yeah. And or it, yeah, like completely he, ignoring an entire character like. Okay, so in the movie, Kate is a PhD candidate. So that mm-hmm. means that she she's devoted probably at that point, like her entire 20s yeah. to being an astronomer and or an astrophysicist. And then she very quickly, once she discovers the comet, loses her mind on camera, which is a great fucking, that's why you hire Jennifer Lawrence. That's why you hire Jennifer I miss Jennifer Lawrence losing her mind on camera yeah. so much. I, like, no one in when you watch so Grey's Anatomy when like I know you've never watched it but one of the characters Miranda Bailey who was like she's um oh god what's her name I think um her name's Chandra Levy I want to say no wait was that the woman I think that was the wait that might have been the woman that Gary Condit killed Um, (laughs) but anyway so Dr. Bailey's like the little short black woman who's in charge of the residence and she's awesome but she goes on these amazing rants especially in early seasons and the writers would call them Bailey's arias okay because they would be these like long wordy like if you think Sorkin is complicated I was gonna say like Sorkin-esque situation-esque but better like and I say that genuinely because it was such a specific only her character could have those things got it got it got it Sorkin where I love a Sorkin rant but you can put those into most characters mouths only Bailey can have a Bailey and he will and he will (laughs) will. that's the whole deal oh it's you know pretty much any of my characters are gonna sound exactly like me half the time so I get it like that's what we do but Bailey's arias are really specific and so um with Jennifer Lawrence like you get a J-Law or aria yeah when she's yelling fuck on camera like that's it that's yeah um but you know we get all this stuff about her but then we lose the plot entirely of like she ends up working at a grocery store. We yeah. never and basically, like, I think a one-to-one stand-in for a Bevmo. Yeah. Yeah. She's like at a Bevmo and there's no real sense of like, she lost her job. Her boyfriend has been writing tell-alls about their sex life, which. Yeah. Um, which a boyfriend, like, I'm sorry, that character would not have had. Well, yes, that's like as, as far like I, I feel in like terms the, of the, reality index, like yeah, that and hair like, I, and those bangs, she was not going to be dating a normal dude. Well, in it, like, and I think that I think it speaks to the a sort of misunderstanding of the character in in its entirety, where it's like, oh, we can just give her any boyfriend. It's like, mm-hmm. no, she wouldn't though. Like, not to say that a, a person who pursues astrophysics can't have bad judgment in boyfriends, but from the moment you meet her boyfriend, you're like, have these people ever met? Yeah. What are they doing? Like, have they ever met? And so why, how is it defensible that to feel like they've never met 
And yet she would also be sticking around for this guy who's like clearly a douchebag. Like, what are we doing here? What is the, do, do you even know this person or did you just start plugging in details about this individual? Yeah, I mean, that's, I kind of am just like, okay, so initially you probably wrote this for a dude and then you realized you could get Jennifer Lawrence in on it. And then you wrote <laughs> it and changed it to a woman mm. and you removed any subplot she had and gave her Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, Yule. Timothy Chalamet as I think Yule. Is that his name? I think it is Yule. I sure we'll go with that. (laughs) The the evangelical the like yeah evangelical evangelical Mm -hmm. the goth evangelical yeah yeah. So I mean, there's just like it was for somebody who for a character who because she is embodied by Jennifer Lawrence making some very aggressive character decisions in terms of her hair. because we lose everything involving her character and science mm-hmm. and the character gets reduced basically to look, she's going to be sexually humiliated multiple times. Yeah. And that's the entirety of her character arc. It's and and I'm sure that someone will will hear me say that and argue that it wasn't. And that actually became something about fate. But like, no, her character, like a big most of her character arc came down to she was so sexually humiliated in the press. Mm hmm. Um, by misogyny, like one by being memed and turned into like the way that we take crazy women and turn them into memes. And then mm-hmm. two, then her boyfriend literally writing tell-alls about their, their sex lives. Um, you, you lose so much of what there is in terms of parodying um, yeah. or s- satirizing the risks scientists <clears throat> take. You know, mm-hmm. we see one side of what science, like that was for me, one of the biggest reality index issues is mm-hmm. if we're going to operate within this world. Right. Um, and we see one side of where being a scientist can take you in the public eye. Mm-hmm. And that is Dr. Mindy's glow up. That yeah. He becomes like the mouthpiece for all this bullshit with the argument yeah. that science hottie. Yeah. He's the science he's, zaddy. Yeah. He's the, he's the science. He's the sylph. Mm-hmm. Um, there you go. Yeah. But there's another side to it, and that is that there is a long history within science of scientists being blacklisted, not only from like the broader culture, but from within science itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Like just now I'm going to really nerd out here, but there's actually the the woman who created, um, you know, the map that everyone's seen of when you suck all the water off of the earth and you just see the earth. Right. Yeah. You see the mid-ocean ridge and it's blue and it looks yeah, like just like the topographical map of the world of the world. Yeah. And it's hand painted and it looks kind of old. Yeah. That was created by a woman named Marie Tharp with uh, Bruce Hazen, who was basically the guy she worked for. She was a geologist. He was mm. a, a, doc- a doctor at you know Columbia. He was a geologist as well at Columbia. And they basically together, mostly through her work, just dis- discovered um, what's it called? Uh sorry, I'm having a plate tectonics Mm -hmm. plate tectonics was so, um, controversial at the time. And so discredited as a, as a theory Mm -hmm. that even saying plate tectonics and arguing for it, they got kicked out of Columbia. Mm. They were basically banned from all respectable aspects of geoscience. Mm -hmm. And they worked out of her house in upstate New York, creating this map and pieces. Yeah. Um, complete and like the Maurice Ewing, who's the, the head of, who was the head at the time of Columbia's geosciences department basically made it his mission to completely destroy them. Uh huh. And it's, so the point of this whole rant is that there's a whole other side to the way that the scientific community can eat its own when it's consi- like when you're considered to be saying something that's outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. 
that Kate went through that mm-hmm. we never saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, so when I say like, so my thing is, God, this is not fucking funny at all. I'm not being funny tonight at all. I'm so sorry. Um, but I when I, care. I do, I'm a clown, Jordan. <laughs> You're the serious one who goes on rants. I, I don't comments. see you as a clown. I, I see you as whatever you are in the moment. Well, in the moment, I am thinking that there was just a huge missed opportunity in terms of satire to talk about how like, some of the scientific community fucking sucks, man. Mm-hmm. Um, the institutionalized scientific community fucking sucks. And there was a little bit of that from like the chief of staff son did have the right kind of like pretension about, mm-hmm. okay, University of Michigan, like we'll, we'll yeah. talk to real scientists, but also, you know. Well, and it, I, I think this, uh, I, 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 I think uh, the thing that the movie that I, that, clearly it seems like the people involved with the making of the movie seems like they haven't considered is that maybe they don't know what they think they know about the things they're trying to poke holes in. Yeah. And so like the, uh, while of course media is well worth satirizing and the television infotainment Mm -hmm. industrial complex is absolutely something we should be scrutinizing. This movie's perception of journalism was highly weird like the notion that the paper that seems to clearly stand in for the New York Times, like they have the font and everything on the mm-hmm. wall. I think it's called the New York Observer in the movie. Like they they bring the scientists bring this scoop that the White House wants to suppress about how right. the world's going to die in six months because of this comet. Mm-hmm. And there's the you know, they run it. It seemingly takes a day. They get the story out immediately. And then they the white house denies its credibility and so mm-hmm. then you have this room of editors journalists suddenly berating their scientist sources being like i can't believe you did this to us we have no credibility it's like it's not how journalism works that story wouldn't that story wouldn't <laughs> have ran if it wasn't passed by source after source after source in the scientific community that could corroborate the information with like running their own numbers independently without lawyers going through a story of that scope and being like, here's where you're going to have issues. Here's where we're okay. Here's where we need more rigorous reporting before that story even gets greenlit to go out the door. And when, so, and the whole point of that rigorous process before something gets published at a paper, like what is clearly supposed to be the New York times, the paper of record in the United States of America, that does not come back. And then they go, well, we've lost all credibility because they have rigorously vetted the story up to that point where they say we stand by our reporting. We will go back and reconfirm questionable points of this and say, and and double confirm whether or not we need to draw, write up a retraction in light of new information or say we stand by our reporting. And if the white house would like to disagree with us, they can prevent us from, they can provide us information to the contrary, like that they would not immediately throw their own story under the bus like that in that moment. And that was like, okay, so that's not how journalism works. And then also allegedly the story got a, the story got no traffic mm-hmm. while also media Turning impressions. Into yeah. yeah. While also media impressions from the appearance on the daytime show were through the roof, which is it, it got no traction or it was the biggest thing on the internet that day. Like those are mutually exclusive events. Right. And like that just at that point, a story goes number one on a site, even if people think it's bullshit because they go find the story. Like that's yeah. how hate reading works. Like, yes, 
That's like, entire, That's why the Twitter ecosystem is so fucking toxic because people, even if people aren't actively reading it, they're at least clicking it, then retweeting it. Like this. Yeah. Is, like when, when, when I, I worked at Vulture, New York yeah. Magazine ran the Suyi Previn story where a journal, we, we had a journalist interview. It was a long in conversation with her about all the Woody Allen stuff. And it was with a reporter who goes way back with Woody Allen and his wife, with, with Woody Allen and Sunyi. So it was like, it was really controversial. I, for one, don't think it was a good decision. I don't appreciate how that reflected on the, the paper. I don't, uh, or the magazine, I don't appreciate how it reflected on the staff there at the time. But that story was number one on the site that day because yeah. everybody was hearing about the thing that to many people was the bad thing. So they went and found it. And if something because yeah. of becomes a sensation enough to where it has been like remarkably memed, I no, that's actually not how. And also, dude, could you have like, could you have made it more obvious that like 50 year old screenwriters were, were working, making your memes for this movie? Oh God, the memes were so bad. That was like straight out of Tumblr in the aughts. Those were, those memes were bananas by 2021 standards. I was waiting for them to be like, there's a remix. Yeah. (laughs) No one remixed a single thing of her rants. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that, like the news, like the news remix recaps Mm -hmm. that like used to happen there for a minute. That was like, it, that bothered me that it was a movie that sought to lampoon the media yeah. that felt like its biggest understanding of how media works. Again, worthy of critique, especially yes. televised news. But the it felt like the primary gripe with the media actually existed as a seed that grew from how celebrities don't like to be covered in the media. And yeah. what they have decided that they've decided the operations of news making looks like because of, and I'm not going to say it's things that they don't have a right to be mad about, but there is a difference between the entertainment fodder journalism that you feel like maybe invades on your privacy or doesn't cover your personal life in a way that you feel is fair. Okay. Yeah. Or or like misses the point of the story, which that's not not a climate change catastrophe end of the world feature in the New York Times. Those things are not the same. And the New York Times is not the same as Fox and Friends. And yeah. the idea too, that Fox, and like, cause it's clearly seemed like a Fox and Friends send up. I thought that was a Morning Joe send up. Yeah, well, I, I think the Mika and Joe of it all yeah. was, was, but like the the idea of the gotta be positive, gotta mm-hmm. be plucky, weirdly conversational, convivial morning news thing. Like yeah. Morning Joe, isn't not taking the news seriously. Like Joe Scarborough, for as much as I don't want to hear him, he goes on like angry rants about like public, like the integrity of political norms and this, that, the other. And my family, we're a lifelong family of Republicans from Missouri. Thanks, Joe. Like they they definitely like treat the news at times like an all too self-serious matter. Like there's this nobility to the news that makes them unimpeachable from other people. But that like, that I felt like the, like everything has to be fun and sunny and upbeat was a very like Brian Kilmeade Fox and friends situation. Okay. That's see, that's, I couldn't figure out what they were trying. And I, that's ultimately part of the problem I have. Yeah. That's ultimately part of the problem. I couldn't figure out what the they were. It hybridized two separate. Yeah. Cause it did feel like that beltway insidery couple thing that is Joe Scarborough and, and Mika Bresnicki. Yeah. I think it was Bresnicki. And, and then like the Fox and friends toxic maw of we're making 
conspiracy theories entertainment on morning news but and then, then it also them together local like news in a weird and, way like it yeah felt like, and it felt also like the today show station. also yeah. the today show like look at this monkey on tiktok kind of shit where it was yeah. like you just made every version of daytime news programming the same thing and they don't actually all have the same problem as regards to the point you're making Yes. Especially since like my sister doesn't watch shit. She doesn't watch the news. She was like, I watched the news for like 10 minutes a few months ago and was like, I can never do this again. Like she is opting out. Yeah. My, my brother-in-law once said if North Korea nuked us, he probably wouldn't hear about it till the end of the day because he's just not connected to anything that would tell him. And I honestly completely believe him. Yeah. So like the problem I found it interesting that this movie made the conceit and this didn't feel jibey with reality index to me. Like it made it that the conceit of the problem with news is that we're, we all want entertainment and we don't want reality. When I feel like the common news burnout issue is that it's doom scrolling. Right. And that's, and, so and this that's was like the thing. Is I that- don't know what you think people don't want to like, I don't know what you think people think the problem with news is. Cause I don't think it's that we, we can't stop seeing our news programs on broadcast TV serving us updates about the bachelor. That is yeah. not what, what the headlines of anything on Fox news are in the opinion block from like prime time. That's not what Rachel Maddow's doing. That's not what Anderson Cooper's doing. Like in those prime time news personality blocks friends are doing like, Fox and that's friends not what's happening. Happening. They're still covering their news. They're covering it in a way that's fucking just this a terrifying nightmare. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all through the goddamn looking glass, but it's still the news. Yeah. But yeah, and I think I like, What's weird to me going back to the going back to the I realized as you were saying this about the New York Times thing is that the mistake they made was that it shouldn't have been the Times. It should have been the Post. It should have been the Post. It should have been something like the Post. Well, because it's owned by Jeff Bezos. And if they're going <laughs> to then later on. Show oh, I thought us, you meant the New York Post, which no, is a rag. <laughs> no, that's a fucking rag. No, I meant the Washington Post because ah. the whole thing like one of the things this movie doesn't want to seem to point too many fingers at, which I Mm -hmm. find really fucking disingenuous, Mm -hmm. um, is that, and this, the climate apocalypse is happening because a very specific group of people. Yeah. It's not happening because your sister doesn't watch the news. No. And it's not happening because Fox and friends watchers are watching Fox and friends. Right. It's happening and it's not, and it's not getting covered in the New York times because they're not getting enough views. It's happening because it's not in the interest of certain corporations to have these stories run. And if you're going to have, if you're going to have at the halfway point, the entire mission to stop the, to, to stop the comet, have that whole mission be, be shut down because of the, because a tech billionaire megalomaniac. Yeah. Yeah. Because he steps in and he's like, actually, there's a lot that we can get to mine from this. Yeah. Then why wouldn't you have in the first act, uh, we were going to run the story, but something came up. And then we find out later that's because he pulled the fucking story. Yeah. Like there's a problem. There's an active problem with Jeff Bezos owning the Washington Post. Sure. Yeah. There's a huge, like you can't have one of the biggest newspapers in the country owned by the guy who union busts. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> like we're not going to get coverage on that. We're not going to get coverage on the climate apocalypse when the major, when like most of the major corporations all are have their hands on in each other's pockets and all of those pockets go back to the fact that it's more economically viable to destroy this planet than it is to do the basic steps to give us all a normal healthy life it's kind of like it's like i feel like this movie i feel like this movie thought 
it was like some Chaucer level Canterbury Tales like commentary when it's Tropic Thunder. Yeah, I it's mean, like, that's, it's, it's like it's, it's a movie within Tropic Thunder. Honestly, it's a movie that would have been parodied within Tropic Thunder, where Robert right. Downey Jr.'s character is like, I'm finally going to get that Oscar because I am in a movie that sheds light on and not something that, no one knows about. And not that change. Tropic Thunder doesn't have its place, regardless of like the ins and outs of, of how anybody might feel about that movie, but it to take something so grave as the climate apocalypse and have very big, famous personalities attached to the movie come out and be like well if you don't take this climate apocalypse seriously then you're not going to get our movie mm-hmm. it's like but you made tropic thunder you didn't make you didn't something... make dr strange love yeah exactly like you you didn't make dr strange love so yeah. i like you opted for a tonal concoction that adhered more to a Tropic Thunder ethos of satire yeah. than you did do something that when it was ending would feel like your soul was ripped out of your body and you were, you know, watching a military man ride a nuclear bomb into oblivion kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it, because that movie didn't, I feel like a good, a really successful satire doesn't feel like it pulls its punches from anybody yeah. And this movie felt like it was very happy to punch at some people, but wasn't willing to punch at others. And it feels like if you're going to to do that, to make it feel as a viable and real to the human experience as possible, it does have to be like the gloves off willingness to go after everybody, even if you curate your targets. But it felt like, you know, it, it, in many ways, it actually reminded me of watching The Hunt. Mm-hmm. where for all the controversy around before it came out with like gun violence, there's actually minimal gun violence in that movie. Um, Is it's that mostly... the one with um, where they're hunting, like where they're theoretically hunting Republicans, but they're yeah, not actually but or whatever? It, but yeah, it is. Yeah. <clears throat> the thing about that movie is that it has absolutely no teeth. Yeah. Like it, the most shocking thing about that movie is that it's written by the guy who made the fucking Watchmen series and the leftovers. Yeah. And then it is the most toothless, ev- like, everybody's guilty commentary on the Mm -hmm. state of politics today where it's like making as much fun of the liberals as it is the conservatives. It's like, this is so gummy in its bite, but Betty Gilpin is so amazing that I'm going to stick around like this. It's it's honestly, it's a lifetime worthy performance. Fucking gummy. But then also you've got fucking J-Law. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, God bless Betty Gilpin. Oh my God. (laughs) what a talent. And yeah, it's just like watching this. Actually, I think that is sort of my exact one-to-one is how I felt yeah. watching the hunt where it's like, Oh, you really thought you capital D capital S did something. Yeah. And because you didn't, it actually rings. It doesn't ring true for most things that you're doing because you're, you think you're ringing tr- so true for everything that you're doing. Like I just, at a certain point, like the, the reason why I call it fine is because like I was having fun with each person's individual performance. Mm-hmm. Even like, and and I, it's it's a personal thing that I will I will minimally be able to invest in any kind of movie where the epicenter of the story for any discernible amount of time is like an anxious man. I don't fucking care. I yeah. don't give a shit about men who are not socially adapted. I don't give a shit about men who can't talk in groups because they're too nervous and smart. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. He should have been the house husband of Melanie Linsky. Should have been the cool scientist. Oh. That is what should have happened in this movie. Oh my god, like, Mel- so Melanie Linsky again, playing wife. Poor, yeah. poor Melanie Linsky. Melanie I, Linsky. I, fucking I realized miracle. her character had a name. I was like, well, good for her. 
And so like that, that was just like, that is a me personal thing. But it's so like, it's like, I'm liking what everyone's doing with their characters. And at this point, I'm totally indifferent to what it amounts to in what they're doing. I'm just, I loved Kate Blanchett's performance. Yeah. I loved that performance. I loved what Jennifer Lawrence was doing. Yep. Melanie Linsky, always happy to see you. Meryl Streep, of course, just swanning through everything. Meryl being fantastic. Streep showed up, had a great wig. Yeah. Did what she wanted to do. Was and hot. Was out for the night. Was like, hot. Yeah, good. Good, good for Meryl Streep getting to just be hot in a movie. Yeah, like, I'm glad Meryl Streep got to play idiot hottie. You never get to see that from Meryl Streep. Honestly, I, I want her new phase to just be straight up dumb with vibes. Yeah, that would be so, that would be so much Get fun. Be stupid hot Meryl Streep for a little while. Like, yeah, that's what I want. Mark Rylance, totally out of left field, but totally appropriate casting as like the like eccentric billionaire genius tyrant. Like, Were you yes. also waiting for him to reveal that his neuroatypical thing was just an act? Because I was fully waiting for him to, with Dr. Mindy, when he has that one-on-one FaceTime with him, be like, so here's the deal, motherfucker. No, like, I was waiting for I that get character around turn too many because- of these Silicon Valley fucking yeah. morons to think that it's an act. It's they're just they're just like aggressively that. Oh, and they're was, like, I, I'm justified in who I am. And it's, awful. oh no, I think he fully believes in his awfulness. I just was, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the neuroatypical sort of like touchstones of like the lack of eye contact and the way that he stammered and like a couple of yeah. things where I was like, oh, totally. Oh, that's all just, yeah, part, he's, like, the, in, he's the savant genius. Well, so in my head, I was like in the same way that fucking Steve Jobs, part of it was just performance. Steve Jobs wearing a black turtleneck all the time. That was <laughs> just fucking branding, man. So yeah. if you told me if this guy, it turned out that this guy, I think that was part of it for me. I kept on being like, okay, where's the turn in every single moment of this movie? And there was never a turn. I was like, oh, okay. This is just where this goes. Yeah. Everything was, everything, everything was exactly where it was. Like there was no, like I wanted an Ariana, I wanted Ariana Grande's character to suddenly like in the third act, it turns out that she's actually like, actually I've been really into astrophysics ever since I, we were on the morning show together and I've done some calcul. Like I wanted her to come out and like do some fucking calculations. I mean, I, I thought her voice turned, I thought her voice dipped moment into Ariana Grande's actual pitch. Like in the way that like Paris, like Ariana Grande talks, like you you think Paris Hilton actually talks and like, that's Mm -hmm. her Ariana Grande performance voice. And then like the way her actual voice sounds is when she's like, why don't you mind your own business? You old Buck. Oh yeah, that was brilliant. And but, like, of I just course, Ariana Grande's of- fake bo- fake song is a bop because oh, she Grande's can do nothing song less. Was fucking great. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think I'm- one of my single favorite moments in the entire movie is when they're at the benefit concert near the end, mm-hmm. and so in like. Dr. Mindy is given his whole speech, and then Kate, you know, Kate Dibiaski just looks overwhelmed and goes, "And here's." Riley Bina performing her song. I, I, it felt like such a perfect character moment. And I was like, yes, I'm enjoying what every person is bringing to their roles. Yeah. I just don't care what their roles are in service of at this point. Right. I like, I give me a Kate in fish out of water yeah. situations, the entire fucking movie. <clears throat> Again, something I would have, I would have rather have seen her take on the role that Dr. Mindy has yeah. of becoming this like unlikely spokesperson. Mm-hmm. because she's so fucking fun in these fish out of water moments. And we, we never really see with Dr. Mindy any sense of like conflict or until he explicitly says, I'm saying these things because I'm I'm st- staying in this role because otherwise there'll be no one good yeah. in the room to do it. Like up until that moment, I genuinely was just like, well, he's, he's going to still just be doing these things because this is what the script needs him to do. So that's cool. I wanted to see Kate just being in hair and makeup every 10 minutes yeah. confused as fuck <laughs> by what's happening. 
And like getting clip on bangs and not knowing how to deal with the new clip on bangs that they gave her because you cannot go on camera with those bangs. Turf bangs. Oh my God. (laughs) I will say reality index wise, like a PhD student, that is way too much hair. That is too much maintenance for your hair. The whole look she had going, having just spent the afternoon re-dyeing my own hair and like this is too much work and I have a job where I stay at home all day. That is way too, you barely brush your teeth when you're in grad school. Like- you're not you where do you think mm-hmm. the large adult sons came from oh thank god i almost i can't believe you almost forgot about the large adult because that like best part of this movie for me like 100 like there there has to be something reality yeah. index to say about this i'm just i don't know baffled. <laughs> i am fully baffled <laughs> My favorite part of this movie, that and the bronze rock joke are the only two things in this movie that made me laugh out loud. Literal <laughs> and it was large intentional. <laughs> when they lose oh behind Melanie Lipsky at the end, and he's like, I, I was hoping we could have a dinner with the boys. And then the boys appear, but they're just giant. You're, they're they're, so they're full of men. They're full. And like when we first see them. <laughs> Like mom's like telling dad about a test score that one of them got. And he's like, I'm so proud of you, buddy. And it's like, is this, did an eight-year-old giant just take the LSATs? Like, what is this? Men's are finally leveling out. It was so, it, it, like, I think it, I feel like the only thing I can think of is that. It had to be making fun of like millennials being like never leaving the nest, which like, okay, you want to talk about shit to parody? Let's talk about how fucked we are in our, like as, as a generation. It was like, like, I'm sorry, we haven't bought homes. I'm so sorry about that. And I was like, the only thing I could think of, because like that didn't even occur to me. I was like, is it just because it would have been too sad to kill a couple preteens in the end? (laughs) Like, would it have just been like too sad to have a couple of like adolescents sitting at the annihilation table? So they were like, "Ah, make them adults. Like South Korea would have done it. Get get some fucking balls. There there's an audacity to the uh, to the disaster movies in South Korea. That was. That was so weird. So it was so funny. destabilizing. Every time. I almost like I felt like they were like they had like <laughs> invaded Melanie Linsky's home. It was like, get away from her. These aren't your children. Like, who are these? What is this funny games situation where there we have like grown inconceivable? Back from the uh Wi-Fi interference now. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So those large adult sons, man, what a fucking wild ride. So weird. Yeah. I mean, people, I saw people on Twitter being like, it, he's making fun of millennials. And I guess like maybe he is, but it honestly was so jarring. Yeah. Because of how, like one, because I recognize like, it's hard to make fun of millennials when theoretically millennial hero Leonardo DiCaprio is playing their dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I understand he's old enough to have large adult sons. Yeah. But in my brain watching, I'm like, why are his peers at his house? Like, did he take in two people his own age and then adopt them? Like, is this some sort of Liberace thing where like Liberace adopted his his lover? Like, what are we talking about here? Because I, I, I'm sorry, but Leonardo DiCaprio does not read to me as an adult man who has adult sons. And so they're going to like make fun of millennials we're not, not really re- famously a father on screen, Leonardo no. DiCaprio. That no, that that never really. I mean, like father to dead kids, <laughs> like the Shutter Island. He was right, a father. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then he no longer is a father. I can't yeah. think of any time. You're right. I don't think I can think of another time that, well, it's because it would require him, you know, marrying a woman. Yeah. I'm glad that he just age. like, now that I see this, I'm glad that he just kind of avoids that, honestly. I mean, it's just like, that's not what I do. That's no. not what I identify with. That's not how I align. Like I can't access that. So no. That that might be the one limit to Leonardo DiCaprio as like one of the generation's greatest actors is he cannot play a father. Yeah, he's not, can't be paternal perhaps at all. We don't know, but he doesn't seem to, he doesn't seem to seek out those roles. Um, And it's fucking weird to watch him refer to his large adult sons like children. Like, like little kids. Yeah. Like very much like little kids. Yeah. Like I came home to see you and the boys. Like they're not boys, sir. Yeah. They're dealing with male pattern baldness. Yeah, that was that I. Yeah, that was genuinely. Yeah, that felt like it was it was in a in a in like a Ryan Murphy show. It would Mm -hmm. be like a great sight gag like this. Like this would have there's one of my favorite bits from anything he's ever been a part of is in Scream Queens. Yeah. When for some reason, um, Nassim Pedrad's character shows up to a dinner and just brings like. 30 bottles of dressing, of salad dressing. <laughs> okay. and you don't see it at first and it's just like Jamie Lee Curtis Nassim Pedrad and Oliver Hudson at the same table and it's like close-ups on each of them but then it like Nassim like offers like she's like you sure you don't want any salad dressing and it pulls back and there the center of the table is filled with salad dressings <laughs> she has brought to a home that is not her own because she just loves salad dressing and it felt like it was that level of like let's just throw a gag in here guys except it except it wasn't that That's and it, i wish it, it had been that because like i wish somebody had been like the limits of parody seem to exist yeah. outside of the homes of like his home was yeah. supposed to be the centering thing and like the thing it's that really sincere. the emotional core and sincere yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I can't, I don't think it was intentionally a gag because the home life is supposed to be such a sincere thing. Yeah. That I think it was meant to be straight that these are like his sons, but they were so large and adult. Like they look older than what's his name as Meryl Streep's son than Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Yeah. Like Jonah Hill was playing Meryl Streep's adult son, but I kept on forgetting he was supposed to be her son and not just like a hanger on. And it, um, also, it seemed like it seemed like Melanie Linsky just couldn't have children that old yet. No, I like, had to look up her age. It just right. didn't make sense. Yeah. 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 So that was that was a real fun as far as like reality index that like really broke the reality index. It absolutely destroyed every part of my brain. But that was yeah. probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Which is yeah. Which is is a highlight of the movie. Um, where do we feel like we're at? Like, do we I feel mean, like, like there's so much, the thing that's, cause this is where I'm like, well, it's so hard to talk about the reality index within a satire, but within, and yeah. within, and in a satire where to be honest, it doesn't really follow the rules it lays out for itself. So, uh-huh. it, and I don't want to just rip into this movie where like, well, you yeah, can follow your own rules. Like, eh, like, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like other people can talk about the fact that this movie doesn't abide by its own logic and rules. Reality index that they do get right though. A hundred percent, all of the internet would have been lusting after. We love yeah. a sex, an unexpected sex symbol. No, that, that was something that, that they got completely so, true. so right. And completely it, like, true. Honestly, having it be played by Leo is almost too easy. This should have been played by like Paul Giamatti. Sure. Yeah. Like that's the kind of like we will seize upon pretty much. The internet is so desperate to be horny for somebody. Somebody. To anybody. We just want, the internet just wants 
a sexy dad. That's all the internet wants. <laughs> like nothing makes the internet happier than being like, this person shouldn't be sexy. And it makes you a little uncomfortable when we objectify them. So we're going to do it hard. Yeah. And it, it I, I felt like that, like that, that did ring really true. Yeah. And in a way that like, it was so weird how much of this just like felt it felt of an earlier time, like the way people were obsessed with Riley Bina's breakup, like Ariana Grande's character. It's like, we don't really do that anymore, actually. Like, unless you're like, I don't know, that just didn't feel quite, mm. that felt like yeah. aughts tabloid culture. But the idea of a straight oh, news show I being think, like, yeah, like, no, a straight news show being into the idea that they would reunite on it. No, yeah. I agree with you on that. I do like, think that we would be been, very, if this had been Megan Kelly's, whatever she was doing right now. Mm. Okay, sure. But the, the, like, we have to get you like this program is made out to be the show you want to be on. Yeah. This is the fucking show. Yeah. Like everybody watches it. This is the center of American conversation and news media. And it was like, wait, but that's no, this is, this is like a USA today segment, right? Like, this is a good morning America segment with Al Roker. Like, what are we talking about here? Like where's, Ho where's Kathy Lee and Hoda? Like that is like, that's the level that we were working at, but it was telling us that applies to other things where it's like, I don't know if we we're going to have that conversation right now. That was very weird to me. Yeah. I, I mean, I I'm like, uh, I, there's no nice thing I can say about this. Um, <laughs> I will say that it is disingenuous to fault us for being easily distracted from death. Sure. With Trivial things yeah. like celebrity. Yeah. And then to load your cast yeah. with, I don't know, like 70 Oscars combined. Right. One yeah. of them is Leonardo DiCaprio's. The other 69 are Merrill's. But like, yeah. like on paper, hmm. one of the most heavy hitting casts we've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, I... I just think that's a real needle to thread there in terms yeah. of which fingers you're pointing where. Um, but I do think that the world within the world, Riley, again, in that way that like none of the characters had inner lives beyond the needs yeah. of the plot. So yeah. there is a story in which like Riley, Riley's publicist gets in on this whole thing and is like, hold on. No. You don't, you're not going to get back together with him. Right. That's not good for your image. You know what right. is good for your image? You're going to, you're, you're now a single woman who doesn't need anything else because you yeah. know, the world is ending. Yeah. And it's your job to be the voice of the world. Yeah. Yes. Which is a thing we fucking see. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not going to name any names here, but one of them's in a very popular movie that's controversial on Netflix about the climate apocalypse. Right. It, it's just one it, of those actors in a movie about the climate apocalypse that isn't this movie obviously did is well known for having a cause, but not necessarily being the best at enforcing and supporting said cause. Right. It just, it, so I, like, that's a whole thing to fucking parody is the way that celebrities latch on to these causes and then mm -hmm. exploit them for their own personal fucking gain, mm -hmm. you know, making their own charities you know how fucking destructive it is to make your own charity when there are charities doing the work already? Right, when there are charities already doing the work, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. like, uh, so just, that's the thing is that Riley was to me, like I fucking loved having Ariana on screen and I yeah, she's loved great. her song. She did and a great little job. A great missed opportunity there um, where if you want to point 
the fingers at us as a population to take in this product and this media and be like, you're uncritically taking in whatever you're fed, then fuck yeah, but show us the Soylent Green being made, man. Right. It felt like it, it felt like it, it felt like it swung and missed on the scientists aspect of it with the way you're talking about it. And it felt like it swung and missed on the media aspect of it with the way I'm focusing on yeah. it. And then it like, it's of course, swung the political- and missed on the pop culture aspect. Yeah. The, the pop culture aspect didn't feel like it really landed. And like mm-hmm. the political aspects felt like, yeah, like these are mm-hmm. like things we're mad about. Like I was fine. I was more fine with the like, let's send up how Washington. I did love that they were waiting for literally seven hours and no one would yes. see that. Like, sure. That like, was fucking it, great. It felt like- if, I love if, that. I love the runner with the whole runner with that with the military guy and that yeah and the, and the why did he charging for the, for the snacks? Yeah, that was a great joke. That was such a good fucking joke, and that that was her preoccupation with the whole thing. It was like I just don't understand it, and I was like, yes, that's fucking funny. It felt like that was that the rest of the the rest of the stuff because it it felt like that was the punching up that needed to be done while the rest of it just felt like it was punching laterally. I think that's why it can only sit fine with me because it felt like lateral punches that weren't even that hard. It's like, yeah, there's like, feel like you're swinging swinging your arms that you're hitting your button mashing. You're just A, B, A, B, A, B for whatever's in proximity to you instead of like incisively going after one target. Yeah. I think that it, it, you're right. Like it, it, none of it's hitting particularly hard. Yeah. And again, that's like fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. I will say politically, like the political aspect in work, like the bureaucracy aspect of it, the, them sitting around for seven hours, yeah. the lack of urgency, all of that worked. I was like, yeah, yeah I liked that. I was so in after the first 30 minutes. Um, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed the back half more than I did the front half. Oh, see, I enjoyed the front half more, I think, than I did the back half. Mm, okay. But like once the whole sex scandal with, you know, President Meryl Streep happens. Right. And then like, okay, so she gets in. Imp- what actually happens is that she gets impeached and her vice president steps in. Like, that's how that goes down, guys. Like, she's considered to be not, you know, like in a real world situation, she no longer becomes, she's no longer the president once she sent her vagina to or her labia to the Supreme Court nominee. Right. It did treat it did treat a female president just like a male president. And that's and that's not that's how not that would case. happen. That's right. that's just not happening. Actually, No, she would get impeached to me like they, And then as soon as she declared that the, the comet's a real threat, she'd get impeached and her male vice president would step in because this is time for a man to take action. Right. Which again that, would be a fucking thing to parody. Like that is actually very much like I'm um, having a Mike Pence type then step up and be like, mm-hmm. well, guys, the adults back now. It's OK. Right. Yeah. That's again. But I don't know, man. I <laughs> do you feel like do we feel like we, we've moved towards yeah. what this movie is really about? Yeah. 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 Jordan, what do you think this movie is really about? That's like it. It's telling you it's kind of like a lady doth protest too much sort of Mm -hmm. situation for me. Like the movie's so ham fistedly telling you what it's about that it kind of stops being about it at a certain point. Like, I don't mind a totally on the nose like we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore monologue when when Leo gets fed up and is screaming to camera on the news about how nobody cares. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence does the same thing. You know what? Yes. It is big and urgent and bad enough to let's be on the nose. I don't need subtlety when it comes to like how truly bad the situation is. Right. So I'm, I'm fine with that stuff, but it feels like it's kind of 
it feels like it's a little bit too much about celebrity, the the lack of self-awareness around celebrity involved with making the movie and the way the movie in part wants to skewer mm-hmm. celebrity, like how we react to skewer, how people react to celebrity as opposed to fully being aware of the issue of celebrity culture from its source. Yeah. The celebrities themselves. Yes. And because it doesn't know that it needs to be about that, it kind of loses, it, it saps some of the energy from it. So it kind of like becomes, it's everything and it starts, it's like an everything and nothing situation. The movie about is about everything. So it kind of ultimately ends up being about nothing. Yeah. But like, I appreciate that people are pissed off. Like, hey, I'm glad you I'm glad you felt angry enough about this to make a movie at this scale about how bad this is, because, yeah, it is that bad. Um, But I think you I think you didn't see the I didn't I don't think you saw the glimpse of the forest because you were down in the trees with your particular slot you occupy in the world and how that affects satirizing because like Big Short wasn't it didn't involve entertainment and celebrity culture like Adam McKay's thing. No, like where it's, you know, been more successful. This one, though, involved, I think, more introspection and more willingness to, like, turn the mirror on oneself among the the, the filmmakers in a way that was like, oh, but that's not quite your that's your, that doesn't feel like the challenge you're ready to hit yet. Yeah. OK, fine. Yeah, I think a big thing and like I know I experienced sort of this like general hopelessness and sort of nihilism yeah. um, as I consider like the climate apocalypse. Yeah. Um, it's really fucking bleak. Yeah, it's um, so bleak. It's so bleak. And in fact, like, so when I was in, this would have been like 10 some odd years ago, and it would actually predate, whenever the big short came out, it was a couple years before the big short came out. Mm. And I was in my geology 101 class at CSUN and my CSUN geology professor, as we were talking, which I don't remember what he was talking about, but he basically at some point brought up, he's like, so- just as a heads up, the next civil war isn't going to be about politics, which I was like, well, in retrospect, now you're wrong. But he's like, the right. Next war is actually going to be about water rights. Yeah. And it's going to be the next. Between- I think the next civil war will be about nationalism. The next yes, global war, war. But like is going to be fucking Mad Max. Yes. But like specifically, he's like California, Utah, right. Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. We're all pulling what like, yeah, not New Mexico, but. Everybody who's pulling water from the Colorado River. Right. We're all going to fucking fight for those rights soon because yeah. we're not going to have water soon. Bottom line, period. And then a couple of years later, that is how Adam McKay ended the big short. Yeah. Um, was when he and that was act, like when he did the thing about like the guy is now investing Christian in water. Bale is now shorting water. Yeah. Yeah. He's now shorting water. Um, and so it's really hard, like knowing having known that and that's something that i think about all the fucking time i um, the climate apocalypse is the yeah. is the one and only thing i compartmentalize away yeah because i, I can't think about can't it do it it's too i much. cop out mm-hmm. i don't think it's not a problem but i absolutely cop out on thinking about it yeah because it's so bad and scary and inescapable and real i'm like hmm hmm yeah, I better never think about that as best I can because it's going to be put in front of me constantly. Yeah. So when it's not actively in front of me, I'm going to shut that closet door. Yeah. It's, and it, not look at the chaos inside. And part of what part of what's so huge and inescapable about it is that you, me, we actually don't have a lot of power over it. No, it doesn't and Aaron matter. Biba will be the first to tell you that yeah. recycling is bullshit. Recycling is bullshit. I mean, you know, fucking electric cars. They're great. Love electric cars. They're so awesome. Did you know how much 
how destructive mining for the parts for the batteries are like right. it's mm-hmm. all so fucking bad mm-hmm. so the point is is that it's weird to me with the specificity of that last moment of the big short mm-hmm. where he very clearly articulates in one chiron mm-hmm. how i mean it's not i'm not shorting water i'm not I'm not engaging in water as a fucking commodity on right. the stock market because I spend too much time on Twitter and I care too much about pop stars. Right. Uh, that's not. So to me, what this movie is about to a large degree is I think that whether he realized it or not, mm-hmm. he made the equivalent of President Meryl Streep's got to send up an astronaut with all the drones. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I think that's, think a fair that's what this movie is. is yeah. That this movie is the big shiny thing that tells us, look, you're not paying attention while some of us really care and are yeah. making, are saving this planet. Yeah. When the truth is, is that like, not only am I not the problem here, right. but one could argue that the people who have access to making a $100 million Netflix movie Mm -hmm. have access to resources and the ears of the people who could make a difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say more so than myself at the very least. Very much so, or more so than most of the critics who they have come after on the internet. Right, yeah. And so to me, there is a large degree to which what this movie is actually about is somehow the Ouroboros folding in on itself of this movie is just a bigger part of the problem that it's trying to criticize. And I think that's, I think that's legit. I think this movie is not a satirization. I don't think this movie is a satire at all. Mm -hmm. I think this movie is in and of itself a really good encapsulation of the problem with the discussion about climate in the about the climate crisis in the US. Mm-hmm. And by the way, something we didn't talk about in this but at all but only in the US. I mean, right. we didn't talk about how narrow the focus is in terms of where the parody happens. Mm-hmm. Um but that is another factor is that this operates in a world in which like the US is the only control like there's no right. we're the we're the actual only company. We're yeah. the only country producing um Polluting emissions. <laughs> Polluting, yeah. Or, and we're the only country trying to stop it and mm-hmm. or we're the only country trying that has any power to do anything to change it. Yeah. What in fact, what's really fucked is that like, not only are we one of the biggest polluters, but we also then hamstring the abilities of other countries to yeah. save it. And they barely touch on that, but that's also yeah. another thing. Um, And so, yeah, I do think that what this movie is really about is the movie is sadder thinks that it's what it, the movie thinks it's a satire and the movie is actually just like, no, we're actually in the world within don't look up. Right. Um, and don't look up is the, is the movie that they, you know, jokingly have in the, have as like an aside as like a one shot gag. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like at least part of it has to be something where like, you just have, you have so many feelings about a thing mm-hmm. that like, it's like when you are really passionate about a certain article that you want to write, but you're almost mm-hmm. like so passionate about yeah. it that it, it hampers your ability to actually execute mm-hmm. on it. it. It kind of feels like something like, like in addition to other factors, I think the, you know, sort of introspective abilities, I don't think were honed quite so effectively as they should have yeah. been, especially you when know what's like, funny? media and entertainment are involved, but it, it feels like something where it's like everybody cared 
too much in a certain way that it, yeah. it actually got in the way of making this an effective focused piece of criticism. What's funny is how many times you and I have claimed that the movie was really about the evils of capitalism. Like <laughs> how many movies have we covered where we're like, actually, yeah, exactly. This is about capitalism. And then we're faced with a movie where the actual problem and the root of the problem yeah. in reality is to a large degree, the way that capitalism prioritizes yeah. things. And that's not what the movie is really about. It really either of us to say that. Yeah, that's yeah, fucking that's wild. Very true. That's very true. That's, that's, that, a that's really... never where I would have brought this part of the conversation. I never would have been like, well, this movie is actually about capitalism because it's no. like capitalism is almost like other than this movie is capitalism. Yeah. I mean, like other than the, the, the idea that the comet has like mineable resources on it. Yeah. Other than that, like we don't really ever talk about that aspect of it. And that's a huge fucking component of it. Yeah. Man. 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 Anyway, I feel like I do think in retrospect, like I realized it a day or two after I watched it, I was like, I probably would have enjoyed this movie more if I'd watched it in theaters. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely like, I don't love, mm -hmm. I don't love the movie Army of the Dead at all. Yeah. But it was the first movie I saw in theaters uh, when they started opening again. I had a blast. I went with a group of people. We were hooting and hollering the whole time. It benefited from a theatrical experience. And I I, I would imagine this would imagine. Yeah. I think that there were jokes that I would have liked more because I heard other people laughing. Like, I think there would have been just, I think it would have hit me differently, but yeah, as a communal experience, I think this movie would have, would improve. And I think that like, there's definitely, and I mean, for example, my folks loved it. Like my dad called and left me a voice message and was like, you should watch it. It's right up your alley. And I'm like, that's, it kind of feels like you don't think I haven't already watched it. For for boomer and beyond commentary, like there's a sort of safety to it. Yes. In its, in its, in its scathingness. I think it's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You, you really showed them. You're it's very much the, I'm sorry. My dog is losing his mind at the prospect of just like leaving the apartment, which I get, buddy. I fully get it, but you're not going outside right now. Um, yeah, I think there's like a degree to which it's that, you know, oh, I recognize that humor, which is yeah, yeah. Like really appealing to boomers. Totally. Super. Totally. They, they love that when they're like, man, yeah, she sure was a person who I recognize as a character. Yeah. Like, was, she, was she though? Yeah. Yeah. Would you and fantasy hey, I'm cast glad, this? I'm glad uh, there's an audience getting very animated over it. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Would you fantasy cast this, Jordan? Because I actually did a 1970s fantasy cast for this. I, I wasn't fantasy casting. I was just thinking where I'd want sort of like the same people um, in other places. Like, like I said, I like the idea of Leonardo DiCaprio as a house husband is yeah, very compelling like to swapping me. Swapping all the characters around. Yeah. Melanie yeah. Linsky. Um, taking his place, mm-hmm. kind of reimagining the Kate DiBiaschi role a bit. I thought yeah. Yule was very funny. I would leave the large sons just for the fucking novelty. Oh, fuck of it, yeah. That's so weird. And I, yeah. So it would just be kind of like reshuffling people around yeah. basically. Okay. I think that's totally right. Like, I, I think that there's a version of this movie that exists somewhere that we would have a very different reaction, a more passionate reaction to yeah. that. Yeah, that and that would probably track. So what's your 70s cast? All right. So we're doing uh we're gonna do Jack Lemon as Dr. Mindy. Oh my god. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, we're doing uh, we're gonna do so Jack Lemon's Dr. Mindy. Um, and then we're gonna reunite him with his <laughs> with his the apartment co-star Shirley okay. McLean as Kate Dabiaski. Ah, okay, great. Um, because I think she'll be really fun screaming directly into a television. Um and then uh, I left my phone in the other room that had all my notes in it. Um, 
what's his name from uh, from Network and from Towering Inferno and Lucy oh, meets Alfred him. Al- no, uh, no, Albert no. Finney? No, no, no. Uh, Lucy meets, gets really excited to meet him in um, Los Angeles. What's his name? Shit. Bill Holden. Oh, okay. Okay. So Bill Holden plays the president because it's 1970. So you can't have a woman president, but, but Bill Holden plays the actor Bill Holden as a, as an actor who has become president predating Ronald Reagan. That would fit with this very well. Yeah. And his chief of staff is Goldie Hawn playing Goldie Hawn. Oh, I love young Goldie Hawn. Yeah. So this is like Goldie Hawn right around cactus flowers. So she's like 25 as his chief of staff. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and then I had, ah, shit, the, uh, football player who was in police Academy. OJ Simpson. No, not OJ Simpson. Oh, that's in naked gun. Um, okay. We're starting over. Cause this cast deserves better. All right. So I've got Jack lemon as Dr. Mindy, which again, mm-hmm. we like that. Got Shirley McLean as Kate. Bill mm-hmm. Holden is the president. Chief of staff is Goldie Hawn. Great. The Ron Perlman character is going to be Bubba Smith. Because if you're going to have a 1970s cast, you got to have one random actor okay. or one at random athlete. I did love that Ron Perlman was in this. That was a real highlight. For oh, me. Ron Perlman's always a highlight. Yeah, Ron Perlman was outstanding. Yeah. Um, and did what he could with the part. Yeah. Yeah. And then for the not Steve Jobs character, mm-hmm. we're going to do Peter Sellers. Yeah, that feels, you know, mm-hmm. if you're going to go this era, if you're going to go this he's era, the guy. he's yeah. the guy. This is obviously in an alternate universe in which Dr. Strangelove doesn't exist. And Ah, so, okay, this is their iconic parody film of their satire of the era. Okay, and so, yeah, we're going not Steve Jobs is going to be Peter Sellers, because I would love to see Peter Sellers delivering the whole thing about like, I know what how you're not just when you're going to die, but how. Yeah, that was great. We don't know what a Brontorok is, but you are eaten by one. The Brontorok was very good. I like, like, well, I guess it's a Brontorok. (laughs) It was like, that's really good. That's really good. That joke. I actually had a moment. I was like, you know what? Worth it. Worth the whole fucking movie. Just for the bronze <laughs> rock joke. I was like one Meryl Streep getting eaten by like an alien planet creature. Great. I also, I do hope that was a uh, nude Meryl. I hope that was her butt. It was a great I hope butt. it was because show it off. Yeah. Get out there. You're a hot lady. Like, yeah. Let, ev- let, let, let actors of all ages take their clothes off. If Meryl wanted to be nude in that scene, I hope that was nude Meryl. I hope so too. And if not, I hope that she saw that butt and was like, yeah, that's the butt I want to represent yeah, my that's, butt. That's the body double I want. So yeah. excellent work to that body double getting eaten by a bronze rock. <laughs> but then when Mark Ryland's, well, I guess, and everyone's like, what is that? I think that's a bronze rock. Great yeah. fucking joke. Yeah, that was, that was very good. Yeah. Um, so we know our, our towering inferno scores. Yeah. And I will like for, I, I'm going two and a half and I, I will say that I do, I think it's unfortunate uh, where the movie misses because I do think the scene in the house is really, really good. Oh my God. Yeah, the last scene is great. I do think the last scene is great. I think mm-hmm. I think it was really, really, really beautiful mm-hmm. to be like in the end, like the dinner table yeah. with, you know, just a handful of people that you want to be around in the very last. I was like, that's a very elegant ending for a movie that tried to do so much and covered so much ground to be like, we're, we're going to end it at a dining room table. I really, really liked with people who like were family yeah. and who weren't like people who who kind of became chosen family in the end. And I, I absolutely, and the, the looks, everybody played that yeah. really well. The looks on everyone's faces as the house starts to shake because the comets hit and there's the, there's the, the blast is coming for them. 
and they're just all grabbing each other's hands and trying to talk about coffee. Yeah. Grounds. And, and store-bought pie versus home-bought pie. Home yeah. Pie. And I, yeah. I, I completely was a sucker for, uh, Leo's line where he says like, we, we really did have everything, didn't we? Cause that's not true. Of, that's not true of everyone certainly, but I, I think there is certainly a tendency to sort of fuck my life. Um, but like on lose, a, lose the, lose the plot on yeah. just truly how much we have at our fingertips Con, like the idea that we could sit and have a debate about like store-bought pie versus homemade pie and like what tastes better. And that can be like a, a controversial dinner time conversation. Like the idea of just, you know, a, a forced perspective moment of like, well, sometimes it's good to remember what we do have. And yeah. I, I liked his, I liked his delivery of that in that moment. I thought it was well done, really well done. And so that, that and watching that collapse and blow up in slow motion, and in that those very yeah. last frames was I really really loved that actually. See, I love that last line because to me that that was a moment where I was like, it took it. That was the moment that the movie pulled back far enough, yeah, and had a big enough picture view mm-hmm. of the world as a whole, whole that I was like, fuck, okay, yes, that is the point because yeah, if you're gonna talk about the planet, like, like yeah, yeah, this the narrow window in which this planet is habitable yeah. to not only like allow us to exist but thrive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the 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 concept of Eden. Mm-hmm. Like we had, we fucking had Eden, yeah. and bunch of dumbass, you know, fucking apes that we yeah. are picked up a bunch of tools and then decided to ruin that shit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think it's funny because as I was watching it, I thought as like that scene in particular, I thought of two other movies that we've covered on this podcast that I think would be very angry to hear themselves in conversation <laughs> with each other. And I think all three movies would be pissed off to hear themselves in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it made me think of the end of Mother. Oh, okay. Jennifer. And it made me, yes. And it made me think of the end of Greenland. Okay. Which interestingly, oh, Greenland, Ooh. that's how we started. We started 20, I didn't realize this till I was doing the year end recap for the podcast, like for our mm-hmm. Twitter account. That was our first movie of 2021. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. That was our first one for 2021 was Greenland. That's kind of insane. Yeah. And we closed out with technically, we were supposed to close it out with you know, this Comet movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got that last scene before they, the, the, the end scene where we mm-hmm. reveal that they did survive, but there's that last moment where we're watching them sit there. The family is in the, have made it into that bunker and their yeah. heads are together and we hear the rattling and the lights flicker and then the lights. Mm-hmm. And you just, I mean, that's, I had that same feeling of dread watching this last scene mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. same, like that, it's incredibly fucking effective. Yeah, especially like because Greenland, Greenland had me in its grips from the beginning, and I love that movie. Mm-hmm. And I was, I think it it really speaks to how well that final scene in Don't Look Don't Look Up was executed. That it didn't have me, yeah. in, in its hands until the that entire time. Scene. And but that last scene managed to pull me mm-hmm. into its grips, uh, despite being like and like entertained by parts of, but largely indifferent to the movie that had come before. So I think that really underscores what a good idea and how well done that final piece was. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, and and by the counter side, like the reason I think of mother is because mother, which is supposed to be big picture about like, right. the, again, another climate apocalypse movie and is supposed to be so moving in its last scene. And it fails because there's <laughs> no, there's no fucking humanity in that scene. None, none whatsoever. And it kind of kills me that like, I mean, part of what makes not to get too esoteric about, it, but like part of what makes satire so good and sat- effective satire so good, especially mm. like a Dr. Strange love is how it's all on such a unique human level and every character is so right. human and every like it, they're all so specific and there's the humanity to it. Mm-hmm. And like, 
that's when this movie is the most effective. And when you get, is when you get to have those human moments in those last few seconds. Yeah. It's like, man, Greenland managed to do that. And they had fucking Gerard Butler wow. for a whole like 90 minutes. Good Greenland. Very few movies rung me out last year. Like that one did. That was, yeah. I, I would honestly like, I would argue that that is a companion piece to this movie at this point. I can hear And I that. would say they would, I would, I would put them as companion pieces. If you're going to argue that like, both of these movies are about the climate. If you're going to just say that a comet can be a metaphor for the climate yeah. apocalypse. Yeah. I would say that Greenland, where a very select number of people completely chosen at random are forced to completely abandon their families in the hopes to try and survive huh. at the, with the help of a benevolent, semi-benevolent government who's known about this for long enough to be able to build these bunkers. To be able to build the bunkers. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you want to talk about like this, that kind of is the counterpoint yeah. to- the elites side that we saw with this movie. This movie is all about what happens in, up on the level of like the top echelon right. of our society. Yeah. Greenland's about what happens to the rest of us. Yeah. And that's what the last scene of Don't Look Up becomes is like, yeah. well, the actual, the actual cost of this is people being wiped out at their dinner tables. Right. And which is evocative. It's fucking works. But I yeah. would, I would actually say, you know what guys, like Greenland is a more effective satire of the climate apocalypse than uh, Don't Look Up. Oh it, yeah, I, I I 100% more effective. It's cool. Whatever. We're never we're never gonna work in Hollywood now. It's fine. Um, <laughs> the the, the movies like I intend to work at, I don't know that they'll bother be bothered. But I know? was well, my fucking disaster movies never moon catastrophes never getting made now. So, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm still. I'm never. I'm not giving up on moon catastrophe. I'm well, not giving up on moon catastrophe. I I, I am. I'm gonna be blacklisted. Because they're gonna, they're gonna listen to every podcast and be like, "Who, who doesn't like our movie enough to ever work in Hollywood?" Well, again? the minute people start listening to this podcast with that much hurried urgency, that's uh, true. We're in a good place. Uh, that is true. At that point, we're gonna start getting Casper mattress spontan. So, like, yeah, I won't truly. need to be a writer because we're gonna be able to make a living off of this podcast. Yeah, off of Casper mattress. Maybe, maybe Nicholas Quell will finally mention us on Vulture. <laughs> You know what? My 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 adversarial relationship with that in con in concept will continue until it happens. I again, nothing I love more than a joke and a grudge, and this combines both. Yeah, the so. grudge is on. The grudge mm-hmm. is on, and I'm yeah. here to, I'm here to nurture that. Thank grudge. you, thank you, Jordan, for helping me nurture my little grudges like pets that I like pets, to. like pets. I really. It's upsetting how much I relate to most characters Reese Witherspoon is playing. Anyway, <laughs> Jordan, should we talk about what's coming up next week? Yeah, it's it's long awaited return. Oh, to, we're, we're traveling back. We're traveling way back. I'm so excited. Have you to watched 10,000 BC? Have you watched episode seven and eight yet? No, I haven't. Because <gasps> I have to go into them fresh for the recording. I'm gonna have to rewatch them. I yes, because so... I would have to rewatch. So I'm just waiting. Yeah, I because I I, I I watched them a few weeks ago, and the way that I lost my mind at the my end God, of episode eight, wait. Jordan. I'm so excited. I for cannot you. wait. Oh, this is. Like, guys, I know we're now two to three months out from La Brea having aired their last episode for the season, but. And you know why that's fine is because we're getting a season two. So you're going to have to prep at some point anyway, when season two comes around. I am so excited about this. I am so excited for you to watch episode seven and eight. I am so I'm excited to for you to that see. because that gets me even more pumped. Mm-hmm. So you got to get through. You haven't seen the storm episode, right? That's episode seven, I think. Yeah, no, I haven't. Okay. So you got to get through that one. But trust me, there's a reward at the end of it. Like, <laughs> they're like, we know you don't want to spend this much time dealing with Mary Beth and her shithead son. 
Yeah, so no, here's not a little, all. Here's some salami as a treat at the end of this next episode okay, that's for you, Amanda news. and Jordan. So yeah, so that'll be what we'll be back for next week. I hope that means, uh, I hope that means uh, the daughter is going to like punch a dinosaur or something. I wish I can't, there's no, there's no dinosaurs yet. (laughs) I'm not saying that's out of the question for season two, but punch punch a megafauna. God, that'd be fucking awesome. If Izzy just like jumps into the pit. I'm rooting for Izzy getting in scrapes with megafauna. I want that for her too. I think she could manage. I think she'd win. Well, no, Jordan, this is, I I almost want to watch with you episode eight. (laughs) um but and i'm not i'm not even saying this i'm not even saying this because like keep in mind this is not something you should be as you're watching episode eight be like when's it gonna it happens in the last three minutes is the thing where i'm like yeah okay great so just go go, as we always do go along with this fucking log flume of a television Mm -hmm. show but when you get to the drop at the end you'll know okay great you'll know when it happens um and i i might make you facetime me for the last time Okay, but in the meantime, so Jordan, you've been up to a lot of things since last we aired. Jordan, where can we find you and what do you want to promote? Uh, yeah, the uh, we've put out a Christmas-themed mini-season, uh, mostly Christmas-themed mini-season of the Ots Pod, Otsmus, and you can go listen to all of those things with me and Sam, and I have a podcast now on the Maximum Fun Network. Mm-hmm. I am hosting it. It is yeah. called feeling scene where I talk with a different guest. I consider them co-hosts every episode about a character or characters that they have felt have reflected them in film. And we've had episodes with the wonderful uh, Emily Vanderwerf, mm-hmm. um, uh, Ify Way, who is another Max Fun host. Uh, the uh, a newer episode that got went up is with uh, the actress Brie Elrod from the excellent movie Red Rocket by Sean Baker. We've got to talk to really cool people. And I really, really loved the conversations that I've had so far. I mean, you've had some amazing episodes. I will say, Jordan, my favorite still is your Susan Orlean episode because it like adaptation happens to be one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Okay, okay. Well, and Susan is a tremendous personality. Oh, she's so fucking fun to listen. Like hearing her, it's all of your episodes are great and they're fascinating. And it gives you you amazing insights into who these people are and how film can really like not just tell a story, but connect with you on a level and on a deep level and help you understand yourself better. That is the point, so I'm thrilled to hear that. Thank you. It's all of those things, but also the Susan Orlean episode is such interesting journalism. From it the is. Standpoint, I, it really, I promise it is. It really is from the standpoint of like, if, if you've ever, if you wondered how the fuck this movie happened and it right. is a movie that does need, <laughs> this movie does need like a, one of those- um, Oral history. Thank you. Yes. An oral yeah. history of like, how the fuck did this all, how do you pitch this movie to Susan mm-hmm. Orlean? Right. Yeah. And you get into that. And I don't yeah. think I've ever heard that story you almost before. Get, you almost get shut down. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I've heard the story that like, I've never heard the story. No, from I was Susan's very excited point of to view. hear her talking about that. It is so good. You guys, it's so fucking good. Just from like, there should be so much more crossover in terms like your listenership of not just people, like not just people who want to hear a podcast about um, the very, very specific, but also broad, like- yes experiences that aren't yeah. often represented on film, but also mm-hmm. it's a fascinating podcast about the way that movies get made and how the stories get told. And like, fuck Jordan, I, I haven't gotten to gush to you about this, but like- I appreciate such- that. Well, I'm glad it's happening right now for everyone yeah. else to hear it. <laughs> so definitely like I, if you're not, I am not, you know, super up and into and know much about like 
these very, some of these are very specific personalities and like pop yes. culture personalities who I don't fucking know. Cause I'm not cool as like Jordan is. Um, there are many, there really are many quadrants of interest and there are fewer and fewer ways for them to overlap. Yeah. It's, it's but just Eureka really O'Hara, the drag queen is one of those big points of cultural recognition. Oh. And Eureka has been on the podcast. It's such a good podcast. So yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. So it's, please it's listen, really everybody. Podcasts are free. Just download them. So mm-hmm. just go do it. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. And also um, Spotify now allows for ratings apparently as well. So give, oh, that's right. Yeah. In addition to yeah. our podcast, like just go down your whole list of podcasts and give them all five stars and yeah, seriously do the right thing. Yeah. So, okay. Jordan's got like six podcasts now <laughs> and that's where you, and she also has a Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. And Patreon. I'm writing more on it lately because yellow jackets is on and I'm obsessed. So I write my weekly power rankings of yellow jackets characters on my Patreon. So you guys should uh, pay me money because everything's <laughs> public. It's there for you to read. So just pay me because you think I do a good job. That's, I mean, that's how I maintain our friendship. <laughs> An exchange of goods and services. Essentially, yeah. You and I have a friendship sort of like uh, we're in a frontier town. And <laughs> and we both just happen to be running, you know, like a, a, a sundry shop. When I think of Amanda, I think of someone living out on a frontier town. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you say that sarcastically because I am <laughs> ill-equipped to handle hardships, but also I am <laughs> ill-equipped to handle hardships. I will argue that I am that the only one the of most... us who, who that might be the most Jewish thing that Amanda's ever said. <laughs> you say that, Jason, but you missed the the group chat that I was engaged in that went on for two hours discussing our various antidepressants that we've <laughs> yeah. all tried. I mean, so that I don't was doubt definitely the you most know Jewish. a lot about that. Oh yeah, no, it was Biba and a couple others of us. We're all talking about like, she wasn't in this conversation, but that was basically a collection of pharmacists. I mean, essentially this group chat is just like every woman at Zabar's (laughs) on a Friday (laughs) afternoon fighting over the last holla is this group chat. (laughs) Um, But yes, so while I'm ill-equipped to survive frontier life, I am very well-equipped to travel across uh, the Oregon Trail because I am... If, if any of us is going to be the one who's like, nope, this is how much goods we need. That's true. We're going to need yeah. an extra first aid kit. And you here's a life a crucial straw. role in preparedness. Yeah. No, you do need like one neurotic person in your frontier. <laughs> Every frontier town needs one town Jew. And I would be a really good town Jew. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm loving about all of this is that from our view on Zoom, uh, all we can see is Amanda's mouth, like her yeah. her eyes and, and yeah. most of her face are completely off camera. So it's yeah, just she's like a half disembodied voice. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like the bottom half. It's like the opposite of Wilson. Up your nose. Yeah. It's like, it's like if you were obscured, if you, it's like if you were obscured for your identity. Yeah. 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 You know, in like a talking head, like (laughs) news, news segment. Somehow this is still not the least flattering angle that my stupid laptop's camera (laughs) has offered though. Like I just, I always I love the mic in the foreground. That's my favorite thing about Amanda on Zooms. I, I love the mic in the foreground because it blocks most of my face most of the time. So I don't have to see myself and be like, Jesus, that's an unflattering angle. Yeah, like, and we just more get to body... guess what, what shapes her mouth is making as she talks. Yeah, I, I've got more body dysmorphia from my Dell having a, the camera down by the <laughs> down by the keyboard than anything. That's where um, the camera is. It's down by the keyboard. Yeah, that's why when I'm typing, I look like the GIF from Liar Liar <laughs> of Jim Carrey. Frantically. Oh yeah, from Bruce Almighty. Yeah. Oh yeah, Bruce Almighty. That's why because the camera. We that's down the that is asinine. That is asinine. So dumb. 
It's because they wanted to have a really thin bezel, I guess, along the top. I don't know. Like they were like, well, let's do the exact opposite of Apple. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's a flaw. Yeah. No, this is definitely a laptop that was not designed for the Zoom future. Um, (laughs) Okay, Jason. Yeah. By the way, where can we find you? Uh, y'all can find me at that might be cool.com at Jason Halftones on all your social medias. Uh, if you like comic books, listen to comic book workshop. That's, you know, that's, that's all I'm going to plug it. Uh, you know what? Go listen to Lord of the Rings sentence. It's a fun time. Yes, he's, definitely do. He's that. exploring Lord of the Rings one sentence at a time. What and, page uh, is he on now? Uh, I want to say 26. Oh my wow. God. That's honestly far. That's I, I'm really impressed. Yeah. He hasn't been doing it. He's been doing it for like less than a year or a year. Something like that. And I also could very well be conflating page 26 with sentence 26, but I believe it's page 26 at this point. Okay, so sentence 26 makes more sense because that would be like 26 weeks, which is about a year and a, about half a year. Oh, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's You'd think I'd be more up to date on my own podcast. Especially but... because like in this case, if he doesn't complete it, you get all his stuff. Yeah, yeah, I do get all of his stuff if he doesn't complete. Okay, so he's on sentence 37, which is not which is much um shorter. Oh. Than I think he's on page three, if I want to say <laughs> three oh, or four. God. Okay. But yeah, he'll definitely get it done within his lifetime, right? Otherwise, I get all of his stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, totally we've, we've had a couple performance reviews on the pod at this point with him. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's I've I've been uh within the sort of confines of the podcast. I'm very displeased with his progress, and I, I think that we should be more progressive in general. <laughs> Lauren Hammonds. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just imagining you as like this disembodied voice calling in a guy to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not pleased. Anyway. Um, um, where can we find you, Amanda? Just Twitter. Twitter. Beautiful. Twitter. I've been on Twitter. I've been yelling about my boobs a lot lately. I don't know what's up with me, guys. Um, holidays are a challenging time. It's really, I went, I went through it over the last few weeks. So, um, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, I also, Amanda should join the yellow jackets hive so she can talk about it on Twitter with all of us. Amanda is terrified of watching yellow jackets. (laughs) And the fact that Matt Kolsky, friend of the pod, Matt Kolsky has watched it. it You can make it through. That was like my last bastion when I was like, Fuck if Kolsky's watched it. It's Kolsky's a coward and he's said it on this podcast that he's easily scared. And if yeah. he can get through it, fuck. But the thing, okay, one thing that Kolsky has going for it that I don't have is that he has a Joey who can sit next to him and be like, don't watch this part. It's scary. It's done. Right, now. right. I don't have that. My dog just fell off of the couch. <laughs> he's not going to be useful at all. Right. Um, so that is the one, the one thing where I'm like, well, that does, I don't have like a safety viewing partner. Uh huh. Um, you can also find, I'm also in charge of the disaster girls podcast, Twitter account. Absolutely. I have too much time. So you can find me at disaster underscore pod. We also own the La Brea at La Brea NBC. We do. We do. Because for some Twitter reason, account. NBC didn't take the goddamn time to do that themselves. Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. I don't know what we're going to do with that. So far, I've posted three tweets and the only people that we're following is the gallery, the Americana at the brand memes. Again, oh, that's of a good course. follow. Um, and all I've posted so far are a couple of gifs um, from the hard, show. Hard earned those 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 gifts. Oh, that took so much work. To, I was determined because I wanted to make that stupid joke of the traffic cop falling into the ground. And then it's have a really the ca- good gift. It's a great one. And the caption yeah. being email emails hitting us after a long weekend. Like, <laughs> so dumb. The entire reason I created that account. I, I don't know you guys why that exists, but we are technically the official. We are. Um, 
not the official account the, of, the official unsanctioned explicitly says official unofficial. unsanctioned yeah we've gotten tagged a few times and things and i'm like oh shit like, yeah because everybody clear. rightfully assumes that the show took the handle i i mean didn't, per- we look did. You're you're more honest than me because if it were me running this Twitter account, I would just say La Brea official. Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. I have been on one podcast that was hit with a cease and desist by NBC Universal. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I don't know that I need to be hit with a second cease and desist I mean, look, in the span the of five years <laughs> by the same company. Yeah. I want to at least start like collecting them like Pokemon. Like, let's not just keep getting NBC Universal. Right. That's true. If it just says La Brea. And then the bio says not the official podcast. I Mm -hmm. think, I think, I think we're in the clear. I mean, yeah, I just, I just, so I I went with unofficial La Brea, partly because I also don't want to keep getting notifications that we're being tagged in things. Yeah, I think that's fun. It's traffic. (laughs) Like that was my biggest thing was I was like, man, I don't want to keep getting, I don't want strangers to yell at me about how, about this show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't, that was, so we do technically have that account as well. But thankfully we have more La Brea coming for you. Yes. In the next episode. So we'll, we will. So in the meantime, guys, rate and review. Please give us five stars on everything. Please rate and review us all of the things. And yeah. uh, we'll see y'all back next week for episodes seven and eight of La Brea. See you in 10,000 BC. Bye. <laughs> That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>